Thanks for tuning in to My Weight Live, the podcast where we talk to medical experts about the latest research and how you can apply it to reaching your best weight. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at myweightwhattoknow.com or search My Weight What to Know on Facebook. We're always posting new articles, videos, and tools that make living a healthy life easier. Welcome to My Weight Live, everybody. Tonight, we are talking with Dr. Shahabina Walji about all the ways our hormones can impact our weight, how dieting can change those hormones, and most importantly, what we can do about it. Dr. Walji, it's such a privilege to get to talk with you tonight. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Ansley. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So we've heard several medical experts say that weight loss is neurohormonally regulated. What on earth does that mean? For a few years now, we've been talking about obesity as being a chronic disease. Um, but for many years before that, uh, we were talking about obesity as being a risk factor for other chronic diseases. And it was thought that our body weight was determined just by how much we were eating and how much we were moving, kind of a willpower thing. You know, we know now that that is a major oversimplification. We know now that, in fact, a person's weight is determined by a whole bunch of different things. And it's, um, in fact, a very complex um, interaction between factors like genetic factors, environmental factors, medications, sleep, mental health factors, and um, our biology. And when I use the word biology, I'm talking specifically about the biology that is involved in regulating appetite and body weight, which is neurohormonally regulated. All right, Dr. Walji. So you talked about how a lot of how hormones determine a lot of our hunger responses. And that's kind of the first hormone I want to talk about, which is ghrelin. Tell us what is ghrelin's job in the body? Ghrelin is our hunger hormone. There's really only one hunger hormone that comes from uh, the body that we know about. It's a really good example of how the brain and body communicate with each other. When our stomach is empty, there's no food in our stomach, the hormone ghrelin is released. When the brain sees ghrelin, that's the signal that there's no food in the stomach. The brain will respond by causing us to feel hungry. Usually when I'm talking to people, I like to compare this to that uh, gas light that turns on the dashboard of your car when your gas tank is empty. It's the signal to go fill up. So our bodies are um, kind of similar to that. And on the flip side, uh, when there is food in the stomach, um, there's different hormones that are sent to the brain and the brain will respond by causing us to feel full. All right. So that seems like kind of a perfect system, really. And yet we've heard from experts that when we go on a diet and we lose weight, we get more ghrelin in our system. How, how does weight loss change kind of how ghrelin starts talking to us? We always need to remember and keep in the back of our minds that uh, the body is very good at detecting change and that the body likes to maintain balance or status quo or what we call homeostasis. So if you think about other systems, for example, like blood pressure or blood glucose or body temperature, the body um, is able to detect changes um, in things like that. And the body has mechanisms to defend against changes in body temperature and blood pressure and blood glucose. So similarly, the body is able to detect changes in body weight. So when people lose weight, levels of circulating ghrelin will increase. And when ghrelin increases, then um, hunger increases and desire to eat also increases. Then people are vulnerable to weight regain. All right. So I think it's Dr. Macklin who says this is really unfair. (laughs) 
And I think that's true. We're working really hard to try to lose weight. And it's almost like our body is working against us. Is that, is that fair to say? It's, it's making it harder. It's making us hungrier when, when we're trying probably for good reason to get healthier and lose weight. Yeah, I think uh, it is, it does kind of feel like injustice, if you can call it that. But, you know, when you think about it, it kind of speaks to how remarkable the body is at just defending itself. All right. So if we've got ghrelin on the one hand for hunger, one of the other hormones is leptin. Tell us about leptin and what it does. Leptin is one of the body's many fullness hormones. So remember I said we have kind of one hunger hormone that uh, we know about that comes from the body, but there are multiple fullness hormones. And unlike ghrelin, um, which is produced in the stomach, leptin is actually produced in fat tissue or what we call adipose tissue. Ghrelin, if you recall, is a signal of how much food is in the stomach. Um, leptin, on the other hand, is a signal of how much uh, energy or calories are stored in fat tissue or adipose, adipose tissue around the body. So when there's a bit more adipose tissue, then there's a bit more leptin. Uh, when the brain sees leptin, it causes us to feel full. Interesting. Okay. So do we see the same process with leptin where when we are trying to lose weight, that the, the way our brain looks at leptin is different? Yeah. So if you think about it, when we lose weight, we are losing some fat tissue. We're losing some adipose tissue. Because leptin is produced in adipose tissue, if we see a decrease in adipose tissue, we will also see a decrease in leptin. If we see a decrease in leptin, then we're going to see a decrease in fullness. So one of the reasons we wanted to have you on to talk about hormones is, you know, the the neurohormonal aspect of weight loss is really why A, obesity is a chronic disease, and B, why losing weight and keeping it off over the long run is not as simple as willpower. You know, if it were just knuckling down and working harder, your hormones wouldn't be working against you in this way. So we're going to talk towards the end about kind of what the implications of this are for someone who's recognizing, wow, you know, I've been doing my part all along. I haven't necessarily been kind of seeing the benefit, the health benefits that I want from, from losing weight. What should I do? My next question for you is, I think a lot of us have heard that losing weight slowly can help us keep it off more effectively rather than more drastic weight loss. So first of all, is that true? And second, is that because these hormonal reactions aren't triggered, aren't triggered as strongly when we lose weight slowly? You know, I think when we're talking about non-surgical weight loss, uh, it's important to remember that there's really not much that we can do to um, change our physiology, to affect those um, defense mechanisms that exist within our body. We do know that when uh, people lose more weight, more drastically, we do see um, greater uh, hormonal changes to defend against that weight loss. But these defenses are going to happen anyway, even with slower weight loss. I think it's important to remember that when people are losing large amounts of weight uh, drastically, it's usually because they've made some kind of major change. Uh, they've done something drastic um, to cause that major weight gain. And often those changes that have been made are not sustainable. So if you aren't able to continue doing whatever it was that caused that weight loss in the first place, that's kind of like withdrawing treatment. You know, weight regain is more likely and sometimes it can come back with a vengeance. 
the value of making small changes that can be a bit more personalized. Um, yeah, it'll result maybe in slower weight loss, and we're still going to see those hormonal changes, but those behavioral changes that produce the weight loss in the first place are often a lot more sustainable. And if we can continue to do those things that we were doing to lose weight in the first place, then we're more likely to keep that weight off. That's a great answer. So make make the changes that you want to make to try to lose weight, make them things you can stick to forever, because if you can't, that you're going to see that weight, weight gain. Is there anything that we can do to kind of counterbalance these biological reactions of like increased hunger and a whole lot less fullness? We can't willfully do anything to change the hormonal signaling, uh, sorry, the hormonal signaling that occurs in regulating appetite and weight. Uh, or the hormonal signaling uh, that is happening in obesity. There are other tools that we can use, but if we're talking about willpower, then that will really only take us so far. What are the other tools that might help someone? The other tools uh, that people can use to help them to manage their weight in a way that's sustainable um, include things like bariatric surgery. Now, bariatric surgery will actually change your physiology. Having said that, only certain people really are eligible for bariatric surgery. It's not readily accessible to everybody, and Mm -hmm. not everybody wants bariatric surgery. What other tools are available? Well, there are medications that can help. And many of these medications are working in the brain on the biology that's involved in regulating appetite and cravings and weight. Again, obesity is a chronic disease and most chronic diseases require medication. I would never think I could willfully lower my blood pressure. (laughs) I would recognize that probably medication was required. So I guess what I'm hearing you say is, you know, really obesity is no different. There are biological things that are driving weight gain or staying at our current weight. And it may be that we need surgical intervention or medication intervention to address kind of what's happening in our biology. That's exactly what I'm saying. And you're very right to compare it to other chronic diseases like high blood pressure and high cholesterol and diabetes. There are biological things that are happening in our bodies to cause those things. And we're lucky that we have medications to help manage those health uh, conditions. Let's talk about cortisol. It's sometimes referred to as the stress hormone, and it seems right now that stress is more relevant than ever. So what does cortisol do and how can it affect weight? Cortisol is a steroid hormone that is produced in the body in the adrenal glands, which are glands that sit just above the kidneys. Um, You're right that we do refer to cortisol as being the stress hormone, but in fact, um, there's many different cells and tissues in the body that have receptors for cortisol. So not surprisingly, cortisol plays a role in many different things like um, blood glucose um, control and blood pressure control. It also plays a role in uh, salt and water balance and in um, uh, inflammatory and Hmm. immune function. Uh, We call it the stress hormone because uh, cortisol helps the body to respond appropriately to stress. It kind of keeps the body on high alert, if you want to think of it that way. 
We do know that um, cortisol levels aren't only affected by acute stress. They're also affected by things like sleep um, and shift work, things like um, alcohol consumption, things like chronic pain, um, and things like dietary factors too. Um, we know that higher levels of cortisol in the blood are associated with changes in appetite. And, um, that has to do with, um, a preference for foods that are richer in fats and richer in sugars. Interesting. So is this one of the reasons why managing stress is so important for people kind of trying to manage their weight? Does, is that kind of what's implicated in when we have higher cortisol levels, does it make it harder to lose weight and keep it off? So that's uh, also a really good question. Lots of good questions, Nancy. <laughs> Um, the relationship between stress and weight have been uh, a, um, a topic of interest for researchers for a very, very long time. Um, and the results that link cortisol and weight are conflicting. So what I can tell you is that we know that chronic stress does cause an increase in the body's stress response system. And that certainly some people are more vulnerable to the adverse effects of a hyperactive stress response system. Um, and some of those adverse effects include things like an increase in body fat percentage and an accumulation of abdominal body fat. Let's talk about one of the most frequently asked questions we get, and that's about menopause and estrogen. What is estrogen? Um, and how does how can menopause play a role in in causing weight gain? Estrogen is one of the two main sex hormones um, in a woman. Um, it's produced mostly by the ovaries, uh, but it can also be produced in fat tissue as well. We usually talk about uh, estrogen as being involved in uh, f a woman's physical characteristics um, and in uh, uh, regulating the menstrual cycle and in fertility and in reproduction. But just like cortisol, there's estrogen plays different roles. We know that estrogen plays a role in bone health and in heart health, and it can also influence the brain. There's some animal studies that suggest that estrogen might play a role in decreasing appetite. With menopause, we see uh, a reduction in estrogen because the ovaries produce uh, less estrogen. Some of the changes that can occur in the body when a woman goes through menopause are a decrease in lean body mass, so muscle mass, and we see an increase in total body fat percentage. We also see an accumulation of abdominal fat. So I'm thinking all of those things are basically either causing weight gain or resulting in weight gain. Is there anything that a woman kind of either starting menopause, in menopause can do to, to mitigate some of that weight gain? So that's the perfect word um, because again, um, biology is uh, biology and menopause is an inevitable reality for every woman. So um, there's nothing we can do to really prevent those changes from happening because ultimately they're going to happen, but mm -hmm. we can certainly uh, do some things to mitigate some of the effects of those changes. Um, we do know that physical activity and exercise has an inverse relationship to abdominal uh, waist circumference. 
So, uh, of course, we would encourage women, really of all ages, but particularly through menopause, to really be intentional about uh, maintaining a regular physical activity plan. We know that resistance exercises can help preserve your lean body mass. So that would be a really important component of a physical activity plan. Um, And then, of course, you know, increased awareness, I would say, around food quality and eating patterns is also really helpful and, and trying to maintain a healthy, balanced diet that is sustainable. Um, You know, those kinds of things can help to mitigate weight gain that it can occur with menopause. So if someone is watching and they suspect their hormones are playing a role in their health, should they reach out to their family physician, perhaps to get referred to a specialist? How might you suggest they have that conversation, if at all? This is really important because it can be hard to talk to a medical professional about weight. It can be hard to talk to anyone about weight, but you know, certainly we do see that some people find it hard to speak to health professionals about weight. And maybe that's because it's a sensitive topic. You know, we do know that even though obesity is a chronic disease, um, there are even health professionals that hesitate to speak about weight with their patients or with their clients because, you know, they're a little bit worried that they might say the wrong thing. I think probably my advice would be that if you're ready to talk about your weight, then just ask the question, you know, just say something like, hey, is it okay if we talk about uh, my weight today? Or can we plan a time to talk about my weight? And then if you find that your health professional, your doctor isn't comfortable, or maybe isn't um, up to date with some of the new guidelines around weight management, just ask them if they can refer you to somebody who is. And if we accept that, you know, we can be doing our part and a healthy lifestyle is certainly important, but often it's not going to be enough to kind of get us to where we want to be. That is really why it's so important to see a specialist. You're one of those specialists. You have an amazing uh, clinic. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about what you do, because I'd like people to have a sense of if they do go see a specialist, what's involved, what they, what they might experience and kind of the attention and care that they would receive. Sure. Yeah. So I can say that I absolutely love my job. <laughs> when I see people here for weight management, the first thing that I do is I spend quite a lot of time just getting to know them you know, um, because everyone is different and it, it isn't reasonable to give everybody the exact same advice. My goals when I first meet somebody are to get to know absolutely as much as I possibly can in the time that I have with them. I'm really get, trying to get a feel for what their life context is. And then, of course, I'm looking at their medical history and their mental health profile, too, just to see if there are any barriers or any other things that we need to consider or maybe that we need to treat at the same time, right? Because we Absolutely. know that there's a lot of other conditions that we see with obesities, and sometimes you need to treat them all at the same time to see the best outcomes. And then, you know, at our uh, regular visits, what we really try to do is talk about uh, what changes are most probable. That's the word that I like to use with patients. <laughs> what is, because anything's possible, right? <laughs> What's anything's likely? Possible. <laughs> what, what is most probable given your life context and what your life looks like right now? 
And then we just kind of monitor progress. We talk about uh, what's making it hard. How can we troubleshoot some of those things? And, and then if we start to really kind of hit some big speed bumps and we're finding it diff- difficult, then we'll talk about other strategies like um, counseling therapy or maybe meal replacements or maybe medications and sometimes even bariatric surgery. So what I hear you saying is, you really work with that person to understand their unique situation, their unique medical history, everything they have going on and develop a plan that's specific to them. And I have to say, you know, we've been to your clinic. It's an incredible place. You have a a team of people who are so dedicated and care so much. And I would just say, you know, folks, if you're on the fence about seeking medical attention, if you feel like you should be able to do this yourself, I would say everything is easier with support. And there are so many wonderful obesity specialists and physicians who are dedicated to weight management across Canada. You can see them on our website. There's a whole bunch in the US as well. It is just so important to like take that first step and see what's possible with kind of medical support and a team around you. I have learned so much tonight. I cannot thank you enough, Dr. Walji, for being here with us and answering all of our questions about hormones. You have been really wonderful. Ansley, thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. 